Well, good morning. It is wonderful to be with you. This is a, uh, a once opportunity in the life of a church to have the first service. You only get one first time. And uh, this is an exciting thing. Uh, I have been uh, involved in church planting ministry for over 30 years now, and it's just a great privilege to be able to participate with you all in establishing this ministry today. Pillar Fellowship, it's a great name. I'm really thankful that uh, Ken's values, Pastor Ken's values are such that he wants everything to be rooted in Scripture, because that's the, th- this is the gift that God has given to us. Uh, all that we know about God comes from this book, Right? Everything that we can possibly understand about him has been revealed to us on the pages of Scripture. And so that this church would be a place that would pronounce all of those truths and teach them and reinforce those in our lives. That's what this ministry is all about. I know those are values that Pastor Ken and and those that are coming together to establish this ministry and I trust that that's one of the motivations that brought you here to be part of this ministry today as well. I have a couple of letters that I want to read that are uh, sent to you in uh, kind of a commemoration of this, of this day, of this event. And the first one comes from the chairman of Midwest Church Extension Ministries. Uh, this is the ministry that is involved in helping to establish this, and this comes out of the state of Ohio, Springfield Bible Church in Springfield, Ohio. Dear brothers and sisters at Pillar, Pillar Fellowship, Uh, Greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a great joy for me to write to you at this most significant milestone in your lives and ministry. All of us on Midwest Church Extension Board pray for God's richest blessings upon you as you today celebrate the launch service of Pillar Fellowship. It's the privilege as the chairman of the board to have an opportunity to assist and undergird you through your infancy stage of ministry. We rejoice with you and want to honor your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and the proclamation of the gospel. Amid the stress of this difficult time, we especially thank God for your new church ministry. We pray for you that you will know God's richest blessings as you faithfully serve him and teach the truths of God's word. We look forward to many more years of your faithfulness and testimony for Christ there in Jeffersonville and the greater Louisville area. Although I can't be there to deliver the message to you personally, I'm certain that the memories of this first service will encourage all of you in the days ahead. Know that I and the entire board of MCE pray and support you as you begin this significant step of faith. To meet the challenges of today, may you experience the grace of our Heavenly Father, labor for the glory of His Son, Jesus Christ, and abide in the continuous strength of the Holy Spirit, laboring together, Dr. Brian Miller. And then another letter to give to you today is uh, from the IFCA International Home Office, the executive director, kind of the guy that's the highest up the chain, of you, if you will, in our fellowship. Uh, Dr. Richard Vargas writes these words, Dear brothers and sisters at Pillar Fellowship, greetings to you in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. What a joy it is to write to you on the occasion of your launch service as a church. I know that many hours of prayer gospel conversations, and outreach to the community went into preparing for the launch of Pillar Fellowship. And as the many months of preparation are culminating in today's celebration service, this is only the beginning. That's something we're going to talk about today. Your church stands as a pillar and support of the truth. comes straight from Scripture, that statement does. And you're that in Jeffersonville and beyond. And I pray that you, it will become a great beacon of hope and a lifeline to the lost who need Jesus Christ as you continue to faithfully declare the message that Jesus saves. And we can say amen to that, right? 
We will pray for you as you continue to do the work of the ministry and fight the good fight of the faith. May the blessings and goodness of the Lord be evident as you move forward, and may the grace of our God be your encouragement and strength in the days ahead. Grace and peace, Dr. Richard Vargas. So those are notes. There are people that are around the country that are going to be observing and praying for you, observing what's going to happen uh, here today at the launch service. And it's such a great joy that we've gathered together. I mean, it's launching service. This is the day that it's like the countdown, you know, and we're, we're, on, we're at Cape Canaveral, or Cape Kennedy, I guess it would be now, and we're ready to see God's ministry blast off. That's what's happening today. You only get one of those. And you know what? You're going to have one of these days where the first soul will get led to Christ. And it'll be part of the crown that you're going to be given one day. You're going to have your first baptism. You'll celebrate your first Lord's Supper together. You're going to have a whole range of firsts that are going to be ahead of you in coming days. And you're going to celebrate every one of them. And today's just the first of those firsts. And that's what you have. We begin formal morning worship as a church. It's a new assembly of believers. And you're assuming an identity. You have an identity called Pillar Fellowship. And, and you do this because you want to broadcast biblical values. You want to broadcast the things that are your passions, the things that you care about. Uh, you want to talk to others and broadcast, if you will, again, about your beliefs, the things that you hold dear, things that are true in your heart, things that have been emphasized in the service as Ken has done that for us today. And these, these values, these passions, these beliefs, they're built on the foundation of the Bible, the foundation of Scripture. And we embrace them. We embrace them because they support what is needed to have a genuine, knowledgeable, and fruitful relationship with Jesus Christ. To have that relationship with God uh, is it, something that we have because uh, we, of, of God sending His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, into this world. For every person, that relationship begins with Him. We obey the gospel by placing personal faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. And then, once we've made that saving faith decision, we trust in His grace for every decision we make in, his, in life afterwards. Every one of us, as believers, we are to follow after Christ because He's our shepherd. He's our friend. He's our Lord. And we do these things successively in a lifelong journey until the day that we enter into His presence. And part of a life's journey includes bonding ourselves with others around us that have those same passions, same values, and therefore as a biblical community, we then, Pillar Fellowship, and we embrace them together, and we enter into what today we're going to call a divine agenda. And that's going to be the topic of today's sermon. You know, given the kind of day that we live in, to say that we're part of a divine agenda, uh, it might be misunderstood or miscast or, as the world likes to do, spin it in a way that is different than what uh, perhaps I mean. So let me explain what I'm talking about. Hearing me label this commencement of Pillar Fellowship as an entrance into a divine agenda might evoke people in the world to be skeptical about my point, or even critical about my point. The skeptic might say something like, now, Henry, you're entering a divine agenda? You mean God's agenda? Isn't that a bit of a reach? Uh, you know, I mean, to claim that the start of a new church is 
backed by the purposes of God in heaven. Boy, that's laying it on pretty heavy, don't you think? Uh, and then the critic, they might say something like, divine agenda? <laughs> sure. <laughs> right. Uh, I'd say that's a bit arrogant of you, Henry. I mean, how can you really know what God's agenda is? Uh, and then, how could you dare to presume that launching Pillar Fellowship fits such a lofty claim? Well, let me go on record here, first of all, that when it comes to a time like today, Midwest Church Extension that I direct, Pastor Ken leading Pillar Fellowship, those of you that have been following this and, and have owned this to be a part of your life, we're blessed enough to have a moment in time like this. And this is our spirit. Okay, please know this is our spirit. We do this with great joy. We do this with great celebration. But we're tempered. We're tempered with humility. And we're tempered with gratitude. Picture it this way. A man is in the hospital. And when he first holds that little baby that his wonderful wife has just brought into the world, we're a proud papa. I've been blessed for three times of that, and I'm six times a proud grandpapa. (laughs) And I'm very proud about that. And yet, at the same time, you know, that I'm awed by this little gift bundle that I'm holding in my hands, I'm also a grateful person. I'm grateful for this overwhelming joy as I'm looking down on that little bitty face. And there's nothing arrogant in that. There's nothing arrogant at all. It's just a time to celebrate this new miracle of life. And by the same token, God's agenda in this world, it's all about life. God is about life. In fact, he never wanted there to be anything but life for this planet. Scripture actually tells us that death came as a punishment. It says that the wages of sin is death. So death came as a punishment. That tells us that death was never part of God's plan for anything about this planet. And so, when new life is generated, whether it's a tiny baby boy or a girl, or or that it's a new assembly of God's people coming together like we are doing here this day, it is something to celebrate. That new life is actually part of the divine agenda because he's all about life. And that's why we celebrate it. In Matthew chapter 16, our Lord has, tells us that he has, he has promised to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That word church, in the original language, and one of the things you're going to learn in our church is that we like to go back to the original languages to help us with definitions. The word is actually pronounced ecclesia, which just means a, 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 an assembly of those that are called out. And that's what the church is. The church is made up of all those people who through faith are called out of sin, out of this world, and then assembled together to be what the Bible describes as the body of Christ or the bride of Christ. This is what Scripture teaches us. So that basically tells us we together, you, I, all of us, we're part of the divine agenda because we've been rescued from death unto life. And forming this new church called Pillar Fellowship is indeed, if you will, the latest iteration of the divine agenda of God fulfilling his plan for this age. And we're not only blessed to be witnesses, but we're actually participants in that blessed event this very day. And so with that in mind, my message today is entitled, 
fulfilling the divine agenda. Fulfilling the divine agenda. I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 18. You have Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the fifth book in to the New Testament is the book of Acts. And I want us to be at chapter 18 today. Uh, it, the book of Acts is in the Bible because it's a history book about the first generation of the church. It was written by Luke, who also wrote the gospel that has that same name. And the book of Acts is a fantastic story. Uh, and the story I'm taking to you, this, uh, taking you to this today is about the birth of the church at Corinth. There was a city in Greece called Corinth, and Paul, the Apostle Paul brought ministry to them. It's a wonderful story. It's a story that's kind of filled with some excitement. There's a lot of drama, but there's also blessing. And it tells us of first century ministry life in the trenches, because this was a really uh, needful situation. And it tells us about the gospel impact as it was penetrating into an entirely pagan world. Imagine, you know, we, we, we live in a world that has at least a historical understanding that God's, uh, there, there are people who believe in God. But can you imagine going into a completely godless world? And that's kind of what Paul was doing, bringing ministry to the city of Corinth. We're going to see some hardship and conflict in this story, but we're also going to see tremendous victory because souls will be saved from sin and unto everlasting life. So in this text today, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11, and we're going to discover three principles. That's all we're going to look at, just three principles today that are going to be important truths for you here at Pillar Fellowship. And I trust that you as a church will grasp these and never forget these principles, that they not only apply to you, not just today, but that they will apply every day going forward now that you are establishing your presence here in this community. So the first principle I want us to acknowledge is going to come from verse 1, and, it's, and I'm going to express it this way. Item number 1, or principle number 1, the divine agenda is fulfilled with the advance of the gospel. The divine agenda is fulfilled with the advance of the gospel. Now, I'm going to read that verse. It says here, chapter 18, verse 1, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. All right, there's our first verse. And I bet I can say I'm pretty safe in saying that that verse probably isn't rising to memory verse status for you. <laughs> okay? Uh, you got Psalm 23, 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then you have Acts 18, 1, where after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. That's going to carry you through the week, right? <laughs> no, no, I, I get that. Uh, it's probably not uh, the kind of thing we're looking for. Stylistically speaking, that verse is actually a connector verse between two important stories. The story leading into it, preceding it, is Paul in his ministry to Athens when he was trying to uh, speak to the great philosophical schools of the day. And then the story after that we're going to look at is his coming to Corinth. But it's what Paul is doing by moving from city to city that is the compelling issue for us to see. Why was he making this trip? And why was he visiting these different places? The Greek city of Corinth was the fifth major city in what is known as the second missionary journey in Scripture. Back at the end of chapter 15, don't need to turn there, 
Paul and Silas, they struck out from the church at Antioch, and they traveled into Asia Minor, which is kind of Western Turkey today. And they were visiting different churches that they had been established in the first missionary journey. But once they were done, the team decided that they were going to start penetrating into new areas where Jesus had not yet been preached. But they found themselves being hindered by the Holy Spirit from doing that. Now, there were surely lost people in those places, but the divine agenda was for them to go somewhere else. And they eventually found themselves at the city of Troas, which was where, in a night vision, Paul heard the Macedonian call, chapter 16, come over and help us. Macedonia was a Grecian region across the sea from Troas. It was on the European continent. The gospel had not even broken ground there yet. And that's what it was about to happen. It was filled with major cities that had not yet been touched by the gospel. So they sailed across. They came to Philippi, started a church there. They went next to Thessalonica, where another church was formed. And then they went to Berea, where they actually found people. And the scriptures they say about those people that they received the word with all readiness of mind and search the scriptures daily whether these things should be so. And that's why we always like to call our, let us all be, always be Bereans. Let's always search the scriptures daily to see what, whether these things are so. Well, that's when Paul then went to Athens, where he held session with the philosophers of the day. But his witness of the gospel was largely dismissed in that city. Only a few souls came to faith. And that's what brings us to our verse now in chapter 18.1. He comes to this next great major Grecian city, Corinth. It was located on a land bridge that connected a large peninsula to the mainland. It was a very strategic city economically. Militarily, it was an important city. Politically, it was, it was a value. But it was as spiritually a corrupt city as one might find in those days. It was a place in desperate need of the gospel. And so in keeping with the divine agenda... Paul came to Corinth to broadcast the saving message of Jesus Christ. And here's our application of this for our first principle. Today, we're going on record that Pillar Fellowship is here in this city to proclaim the good news that Jesus saves. Amen? That's what we're here to say. And I don't, we don't want to be misunderstood. We're not presuming to say that the gospel has never been preached here. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is we want to add our voice to those voices and that we might perhaps some who have never heard, they might hear uh, for themselves about the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and then personally believe for themselves in that name which is above all names. At Philippi, when when they were asked by a lost soul, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. John's Gospel says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, that, who, excuse me, that, even to them that believe on his name. I almost blended some verses there. <laughs> Paul came to Corinth that, because most of the people were following after Grecian gods, Grecian idols, and they were living out these lives of horrible licentiousness. As a people, as a culture, their sin had long separated them from the living God. And so that same living God had sent his son into the world so that sinners could be reconciled, so they could be brought back to God, that that separation, spiritual separation, could be ended by calling on the name of Jesus Christ. 
But how could they call on God without belief in him? And how could they believe in him without hearing about him? And how could they hear without a preacher's message to explain him? And how could that messenger be, uh, come into place if they weren't sent by God to speak for him? That's the divine agenda. And that is the commitment of Pillar Fellowship to be a corporate messenger proclaiming to the people of this community that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. We proclaim that He died on the cross as a substitute to pay the debt that sinners themselves cannot pay. Bearing the sins in, of all humanity in Jesus' body, He was buried and He took our sins with Him to put them forever away. And then on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. He was resurrected to live forever in testimony that He is a victor over death. And so for every person who believes that Jesus died for me, was buried for me, and rose again for me, that person is forgiven all his sins and granted the gift of everlasting life. Amen. Praise God. And if you're here today, if you're in need of forgiveness for your sins, you can have forgiveness by putting faith in His Son Jesus. Turn from your sin and turn unto God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. So, let's find out what happened to Paul. Now that he's arrived here at Corinth, let's look at verses 2 through 5. And it says there, when he got there, I found, he found a, a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because he, Paul, was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Here's our second principle today. Item number two, the divine agenda is fulfilled on the grounding of providential arrangement. I'll say it again. The divine agenda is fulfilled on the grounding of providential arrangement. Now that's a bit kind of a mouthful. So what are we talking about there? I want us to observe how God was in control of all the circumstances of Paul's life. Uh, what kind of hand would he have in Paul's efforts to advance the gospel in this new place? We see in these verses that God, even before Paul got there, was already at work preparing for Paul's arrival with the gospel. And in terms of this principle, God was providentially arranging the circumstances in Corinth for the reaping of a harvest of souls. This idea of providence, it's an interesting doctrine. Uh, what exactly is it? Go back with me, if you would, in the times of the American War for Independence, and you'll discover that providence was actually a pretty favorite word to use when they were speaking about the person of God. Uh, our own Declaration of Independence uses it, and it, it says there, for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, capitalized, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Okay, you're probably familiar with those phrases, right? And in that expression, 
providence was personified into God himself. Well, biblically speaking, God is not providence, and providence is not God. That's not quite accurate. But providence is involved in how he works out his divine agenda. So I like to define providence this way. It's God's silent ordering of circumstances and events so that his will is fulfilled. It's his silent ordering of circumstances and events so that his will is fulfilled. It's how, like, you turned this corner, and had you not turned this corner at this specific time, you wouldn't have met that person, and it could have been, that would have been your wife. It could have been your husband. It could have been, uh, could have been a, a business contact. And if you just turned the opposite direction, you never would have ever met them, and your lives would have never intersected. Well, how did all that happen? And the knowledge, the foreknowledge of all that taking place is God providentially, silently ordering the events of our lives so that his will is accomplished. Well, that's what we see here in this passage. Each event, everything that happens in the course of history, it's all pre-planned by our sovereign God. So in stating that the divine agenda is fulfilled on the grounding of providential arrangements, we want to see that in this passage. Take note, first of all, in verses 2 and 3, that God found a way before Paul got there to make sure that this married couple, Aquila and Priscilla, were already in Corinth. It's a very interesting thing, and I call that the placement of them. So the story tells us that when Paul got to Corinth, he found this married couple. Their names, was Aqu- their names were Aquila and Priscilla. And in the Chronicles of the New Testament, there are all these supporting characters that are almost as heroic as people like Paul and Peter and John. And Aquila and Priscilla are two such people. They are mentioned six different times in the New Testament, and they're always mentioned as a couple. You never see them talked about between, uh, apart from one another. And it's interesting, on the six times that you have them uh, on the pages of Scripture, three times it's listed as Aquila and Priscilla, and the other three times it's listed as Priscilla and Aquila. They are like this perfect team, uh, totally equal as a ministry couple. And this is the first time that this couple appears in the Bible. Uh, And notice that they are located in Corinth before Paul ever comes to town. And verse 2 explains how they got there. They were forced out of the city of Rome by the emperor Claudius when he expelled all the Jewish people from the city. And they had landed at Corinth and took up their craft as tent makers. That was their occupation. Well, Paul himself was Jewish, of course, and, and, they, and, and he, well, he found work with them because he too was a tent maker. And that gave Paul the opportunity to provide for his own income uh, as he continued his missionary ministry. And that partnership would only grow. Uh, Paul with Aquila and Priscilla may have shared a craft, but more importantly, they actually shared in the ministry. The five later mentions of this couple... It has them traveling with Paul to the city of Ephesus where Aquila and Priscilla opened a home that housed a church. They eventually got back to Rome when there was a change in emperor, and that was where they actually had another house church of believers. Paul would even say of them that they laid down their own necks for his life. And we don't know the story of that, but Paul is actually saying that there was some kind of future peril that actually took risking their lives to save Paul. Wow, this is an amazing couple. Uh, So clearly, finding this Christian couple was a tremendous blessing to Paul. Now, the world would look at a story like that, and they say, wow, he lands at Corinth and meets a tent-making couple, and and he takes up with them. How lucky was that? 
You know, that's kind of what the world would say. You know, well, what a coinkydink. What a coincidence, right? I mean, uh, you know, that, that he finds two Christians in that pagan city, and then, lo and behold, here they have matched, they match up with their tent-making skills. What a coincidence. It wasn't luck. It wasn't coincidence either. It was the mighty hand of God working providentially so that his agenda would be fulfilled. God planned all along for the apostle to bring the gospel to Corinth, and he knew that he would need support when he got there. Well, Priscilla and Aquila had already come to know the Lord. Maybe they came to know the Lord at Pentecost. Uh, maybe it was from some other witness that came into their life. But they were in Rome making tents as Jews. And God knew that he wanted them in Corinth to match up with Paul. So he accounted for the heart of Claudius to despise the Jews, drive them out of Rome. And Aquila and Priscilla could have landed anywhere that needed tents. But where did they land? They landed at Corinth. How did that happen? God was arranging all the circumstances. You, I, all of us together, we all have a life's journey that for some reason, still probably unknown in many ways, but it brought us all to a convergence on this day for this opportunity in this room. I don't know all the story. I don't know all, you don't know my backstory. I don't know all your backstory, but I know that something has happened that brought us today. Some are here today to embrace Pillar Fellowship as their ministry home. It's been an answer to your prayers to see this day come about. And now here we are and God has done that. Some of us are here today, like myself, my wife, uh, we're here to supply this church. Our relationship's just beginning. This is just the fruit of something that we've all wanted to see happening. I'm bringing networking. I'm bringing investment. I wanted to let you know that part of the efforts in raising uh, support, we have actually tallied almost $7,500 to cover all the expenses for materials and the startup costs of this church. And we were able to accomplish that with no expense on our own to be able to have that. God's people, many benefactors, some that are here today even, have contributed to see that that would take place. There are some here today that, uh, that just want to be an encouragement. Our delegation from Trafalgar, uh, they want to show their brotherhood to not only celebrate Pillar Fellowship, but pray for your success. And, and some are here today maybe because you want to learn about this church. You're kind of checking it out. Is this a place that I might be interested? You want to learn what we're all about. And maybe you might choose this to be your church home. And I can't help but think that maybe someone who's going to listen to this by some media format later on is going to hear about this message. And even though they couldn't be here today, and they may not have been tuned in today, but they will want to learn about it, and they will hear it that way. Uh, I, I can't imagine, you know, maybe someday in the future, we've got some little ones that are with us today. Do you, can you imagine what might be happening that there will be a child that's going to grow up in this church that will become a fruitful preacher? or to be a fruitful missionary. We don't know. But God might have had to arrange that this church would begin so that that could take place. You know, there might be a threatened marriage in this community that's going to get salvaged as the husband and wife get right with God, and then they start to reconstruct their lives according to the Scriptures, the Scriptures that they will learn in this church. I don't know. How do we know what's going to take place? It, it could be that there's going to be an elderly soul who's lived a long life of sin and rebellion 
but will finally surrender and obey the gospel that he will hear because of this church's proclamation. And his soul will be rescued right before he enters eternity. Who knows what stories are going to take place. The possibilities for spiritual influence and impact, they are manifold. We can't even tally the potential. And I would say that the Pillar Fellowship stories, they're yet to be written. But what's happening right now is God is grounding this church today. And he is providentially providentially arranging for that to happen so that the things that are going to happen tomorrow will take place. And if it wouldn't take place if we weren't here this very day. We also see providential arrangement in the presence of the Jewish population in that. It was very interesting. It says that Paul reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and he persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And then later in verse 5, it says that he testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Now, that's a very curious thing. Uh, Let me just explain what's going on there. Go back, if you will, to the dawn of history, to the Garden of Eden, where God has talked about, where God established man and woman in that garden in the early chapters of Genesis. One of the things that we know from Scripture is that God wants man to know, love, and worship Him. Man is the creature; God is the Creator, and and fellowship between man and God has always been God's agenda. But something happened in the garden, didn't it? There was the fall. And that's when sin entered in, and that fellowship was broken. It destroyed the fellowship between God and man. And the only way for that to be remedied was to deal with that sin issue. But, you know, man can't discover God by himself because of his sin. He can't even fix his problem because of his sin. So the only way for that remedy to take place is for God to show man, show him that he's real, show man that he wants to have fellowship with him, and that there is a way to be reconciled. And as time we move from the garden and into the days of the Old Testament with Abraham and the other patriarchs, God chose the nation of Israel to fulfill a number of roles or purposes. Israel was to show the world that the Lord our God is one Lord. We don't worship many gods. We worship one God. And that Israel would be the nation that would produce the Messiah. And that Israel would be the vehicle for delivering the scriptures. We have our Bibles. We have our Old Testament because of Israel. Psalm 96, verse 2 through 4, it says that out of all the peoples of the earth, it was Israel to whom was granted the privilege of testimony. And God said in those Psalms, sing, uh, or sing unto the Lord, bless his name, show forth his salvation from day to day. And then he says this, declare his glory. But that declaration is to happen in a context. Declare his glory to each other? No. Amongst yourselves? No. Declare his glory among the heathen, among the whole nation, all the nations of the world. His wonders to all people, because the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Unfortunately, Israel kept falling into its own sins of idolatry. They didn't stay faithful to the Lord as God. And in time, Israel was disciplined by these Gentile empires that exiled his people and removed them from the promised land. And as a result, Israel was scattered throughout all the known world. But one of the net effects of God's discipline is that he took idolatry out of their hearts. That, in the dispersions, one of their sins that they never committed, fell back into committing, was that idolatry. When they were exiled... 
it kind of like whipped it out of them. <laughs> and in a way to keep themselves preserved, they developed what they called these synagogues. Remember, that's where Paul was preaching. Now, how did it get there? Well, God was providentially arranging for a platform to introduce himself through his son, Jesus Christ, to these new places. So here were the Jews in Corinth, in all the major cities, and they were proclaiming the truths of the Old Testament through those synagogues. And they were established as religious, educational, cultural centers to promote their bonds to the, the, uh, the Old Testament. And all of that developed before the New Testament began, uh, was, was starting. To, the stories of the New Testament were recorded. So fast forward now to Paul's day. Paul's a Jew himself. He wanted to gain a hearing for the people that were the ones most likely to get the significance of a Messiah, and they would be the ones that he wanted to tell that Jesus indeed was the Christ. So in every city he went, he started at the synagogues, taking the gospel first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And he was true to form when he came to Corinth. It says in the scriptures, he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath, and he testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. See, Israel, at least, was not pagan. They were monotheistic in their belief of one God, but now they just had to be shown that the one true God had sent his promised Messiah, and his name was Jesus. I don't view America as a culture that's completely absent of a concept of God. But I think you could admit with me that our nation is rapidly and dangerously becoming so. It certainly is a land that's rejecting God's truth about morality, about gender, about marriage, about the sanctity of life. You know what's really stunning to me right now is they're even questioning the nature of reality itself. Our God is very clear on those issues. He's told us what to believe and how to live in this book. And a vital reason that Pillar Fellowship exists and has established itself in this community is so that it can be a vehicle to inform the people of this area that God exists, that He is real, and that each person is to heed that truth and have, have that truth germinate into saving faith. Providentially speaking, you know what? Pillar Fellowship isn't the first to appear on the scene, and it's not the first to inform others about God. But Pillar Fellowship, with that foundation in place already, we are setting our presence here today so that we will be a center for teaching the truth. Pastor Ken is going to always be faithful to your scriptures. He has got the heritage for it, and he's got the passion and values for it, and he's going to do an excellent job in bringing that message to you every single time you gather, because that's what he's doing. He's showing you God's truth. God's truth as God has delivered it in the form of Scripture. That's, you, that's why you are part of the divine agenda and that aspect is what you are to fulfill. All of it being arranged providentially so that we would be here at this day. Now we have one more thing to consider and we're just about done. Let's look at verses 6 through 11 and we're going to find out that item number three, the divine agenda is fulfilled in spite of human resistance. The divine agenda is fulfilled in spite of human resistance. Watch what happens. Remember in verse five, he was testifying that Jesus was the Christ, right? Verse six, 
And when they, the Jews, opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Watch this. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall sit on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So taking the gospel first to the Jews was met with resistance. Paul preached to them, and yet they didn't like what they were hearing. They actually blasphemed. Uh, And that was something that had been happening since the days of Jesus himself. And so Paul's response to their rejection, we read it in Scripture, it kind of sounds pretty harsh. And, uh, And especially in our politically correct day, it would be hard for us to say those kinds of things. Well, if you don't like what you're hearing, that's... That's your problem. You know, it sounds kind of uncaring. That wasn't how Paul was saying those words. The meaning of these words, uh, they're not ones of hatred or spite themselves. They're just about resolution. If if that's really how you feel about about the gospel, about Jesus, that's on you. I've fulfilled my responsibility, and so now I'm going to go to the Gentiles. That's the spirit in which it's said. You see, the divine agenda is for us to seek to persuade, to seek to convince. But every person must be persuaded or convinced in their own heart. We can't do the persuading, can't do the convincing on our own. And since those people rejected the gospel, Paul just simply turned to others who might receive it. And so, so might receive it. And so, parting from the synagogue, Paul met in an audience in the home of a man whose name was Justice. And in that audience. In spite of the Jewish rejection was the man whose name was Crispus, who, I mean, get this, he was the chief leader of the synagogue. Wait a minute, I thought the synagogue rejected the gospel, and he turned away from them. And yet, here's the chief ruler of the synagogue getting saved, believing. It's an interesting thing. He and all his house believed on the Lord, along with other Corinthians as well. So Crispus was either not part of the rejection, or he was part of it, and God did an amazing grace work in his heart. Whichever it was, we see that Crispus came to faith. As a result, these Corinthian believers submitted to baptism. They set forth their identification with Christ. And all of that happened in spite of this human resistance of the Jews. It was then that this curious thing happens. Because it seems in the language of the text that Paul was kind of growing more concerned about these threats against him for preaching the gospel. And frankly, if you read about Paul in the book of Acts, you kind of learn that Paul knew how to read situations. He endured serious persecution throughout his life as a believer. He'd been whipped a few times. Even in earlier chapters, he was actually stoned and left for dead outside of a city for evangelizing. He escaped Thessalonica and Berea when more violence was growing strong toward him. And so it seems like the temperature was kind of on a rise there in Corinth. And if, you're, if you've been there before, you're going to think about how to maybe get out, of the, get out of Dodge, right? Well, 
It took the Lord himself to speak to Paul in a night vision to give assurance to his servant. Be not afraid, but speak. Hold not your peace. I'm with you, and no man shall set on you to hurt you, for I have much people in this city. Interesting. In other cities, Paul just kind of moved to the next locality. But here at Corinth, God needed Paul to stay put. He was told not to fear human resistance, but be bold to speak in spite of it. And he was further assured that he was going to suffer no harm, and the reason was that God had many people in Corinth. Now, that to me is very odd phrasing, because that would initially make me think that, well, there are, if, if God already has people in Corinth, then he must already have believers there. And if that was true, then why would Paul have needed to stay to preach the gospel? So it must mean something else. What it means is that the divine agenda at Corinth was to use Paul's preaching to bring now lost but soon to be found souls to saving faith in Christ. And God already knew that I got people that are going to respond and they're here and they're mine and you're going to be the instruments to bring them to me. And that's what we see. So verse 8 tells us that people had already come to faith, but that was just the first phase of the harvest. Paul was to stay there in the fields. He was to labor, and God was going to produce more harvest yet. There's a great psalm that says this, and it comes to mind as I think about this story. Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6 says, They that sow in tears will reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, he shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. The work of proclaiming the gospel, the work of planting a new church, it's going to take work. There's going to be labor. And often, it will press us to tears. There are going to be tears for, that are over the hardness of people's hearts. There will be tears over the slowness of people to respond or to appreciate what we're doing. There will be tears because we're frustrated because the good in our heart will be perceived or even slandered as evil by the world that's around us. And i got to tell you, I've been there, I've done all that stuff, and those are very bitter pills to swallow, and they will make us sad. But we've got this psalm's promise that if we persist to go forth carrying the seed of the scriptures in our sacks, if you will. He says, we will doubtless, get that, doubtless, we will come again bringing our sheaves with us. It'll be the fruit of the labor. It'll be the divine agenda being fulfilled in spite of human resistance. I mean, when was God's, or man so strong enough that he was going to undo the will of God? Not going to happen. Not going to happen. And Paul faced it from his own people, the Jews, and it seems there was even a threat in the Gentile corners of the city as well. And yet, with the promise of God given to him by a vision in the night, Paul got right back into the fields at Corinth, and he stayed there for another year and a half, faithfully teaching the word, so that much people that God had already claimed for himself would have the opportunity to hear the word and put their faith in Christ. I don't know how many people are out there in Jeffersonville and the surrounding area that God says are his. We don't know that. We don't know. Uh, we can't even predict what God's going to do in a harvest. God is going to reap his harvest, and he's going to produce the fruit that he wills to produce. That's not for us to decide. What is for us to determine is that we accept that it is our duty and our privilege to be used by the Lord of the harvest as he deems best. And so, for as long as the Lord keeps Pillar Fellowship here, May you make this commitment, labor for the master, and rejoice because there will be sheaves that you're going to bring with you. And so with that, 
we need to devote ourselves to fulfilling the divine agenda. We've seen that it consists of advancing the gospel, that it's grounded on God's providential arrangements, and it will be accomplished in spite of human resistance. So again, Jesus said he will build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I would ask God's blessing and that he would keep this new local church pillar fellowship. May he protect you from spiritual and worldly harm. May he cause you to abound with spiritual fruit of making disciples in quantity, lots of disciples, but quality as well, quality disciples, people devoted to the word of God. Paul would eventually write to this very church, the Corinthians. He wrote two epistles to them, right? At the end of the first one, he said this, and I want this to be my blessing on you as we close this message. He said to them, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know, your labor is not in vain. And may that be your blessing on Pillar Fellowship. Father, I thank you for the privilege of addressing this assembly today. Lord, what a wonderful privilege it is to see this church commence. I first of all pray for Pastor Ken and his family. I pray that you would help Ken to be able to have the, the, the wisdom to lead, the, the availability to, to be a servant to whoever it is that you bring across his path. And Father, as people will inquire about this church, that he is able to have that winsome spirit that he so uh, exemplifies and to graciously reach out to them and welcome them. Father, I pray also for those that are going to be the congregation of Pillar Fellowship. I pray that you will help them to have hearts that would extend invitation to the community around them to come and sample Pillar Fellowship and to see what this ministry is all about and to find out what blessing can come into their lives by being a part of this ministry. But Father, above all things, may the passion that's already been expressed both by Pastor Ken's exhortations and affirmations in the music that he selected and led for us, that Jesus Christ would be central to this ministry, that we indeed are theocentric, God-centered in everything that this church represents. I pray, Father, that you will help this church to always abound in the work of the Lord and give them great fruit for their labors. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.